glory. This sign, obviously, is the resurrection of Lazarus. And it's a story about death and what God can do through death. And I don't want to be too um, down, but the chapter really is about death. So you got kind of got to talk about death, right? And unfortunately, it seems like death seems to come in bunches. Have you ever noticed that before? That like it, it's not like spaced out. It just seems like there's seasons where it's like, man, so many people, you know, pass away, and then there's a season where it doesn't seem like many people do. Uh, we've had a lot of loss here just within the congregation over the last few months. Some have lost their fathers. Some have lost their mothers. Some have lost brothers. Uh, some have lost husbands. Um, people have traveled up to Philly uh, for today. Uh, Bob Gimple's funeral is today. Um, in Trinidad, they've been hit particularly hard. I shared about Bob Peterson, the older brother that was so full of life and full of zeal who passed away. But uh, right after we got back from Trinidad, there was a, a brother who um, got baptized in the campus ministry there. A young guy, probably about 40 years old. Most just sparkling personality you've ever met, full of life, full of vigor. He left the church, unfortunately, a few years ago, but he's always kept relationships with the brothers and sisters, and we saw him while we were there, and it was like so good to, to see him. He'd come back to the worship service that Sunday, and um, not soon after we got back, we got word that he had gone swimming in a, in a pond there, and he drowned. Drowned in the middle of the pond, and it was just so devastating to the church. Everybody was so sad because people really had hopes that he would come back again. There was a teenager who got baptized uh, there in Trinidad. He was the brother of one of the sisters there. He left the church um, as he got a little bit older in life, but was just recently thinking about coming back to the church. This happened again just like two weeks ago. Um, he uh, made the decision that he was going to come back to the church it was a Wednesday. He was on his way to midweek to come back, and he got shot, and he died in some crazy drug drug thing that was going on. So death is never easy. Um, it's sudden in many cases. And when we suffer, it can sometimes feel like, where is God in all this? It may feel like he doesn't care. It may feel, and we may question whether or not God really loves us. Um, but in considering death, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. And Solomon wasn't just being dark, although he was quite a dark writer, if you read his writings. Um, he is saying that there's something good, and there's something sobering, there's something grounding about death. There's something about looking past this life into the next one. And knowing that life is not only about these 70, 80, 90 or so years that we get to be here on earth. Solomon really did have a unique perspective. And as we're going to see this afternoon here in uh, John 11 verses 1 through 16, because of God's love for us, we too can have a uniquely powerful and hopeful perspective on death and suffering through Jesus Christ. And so the title of the lesson this morning is Glory in Death. Let's take some time to pray and we'll get into our text. 
Father, you are the author of life and death. Uh, you give a man his life, and Father, you know exactly when a man's life is going to be taken away. None of us has that knowledge in advance, um, but God, you have it. And you've uh, made this life to be more than just a physical life that we experience, but true life is really the life to come after this life. And through Jesus Christ, you've given us a way to uh, prepare for that next life, to hope for that next life, to dream for that next life. And we thank you for all that he's done. We thank you for the hope that we have in him so that we do not have to place trust and confidence in these 70, 80, 90 years that we live. Help us to be faithful and help us to place our eyes on the things that are unseen versus the things that are seen. And help us to have the same perspective of Jesus Christ, knowing that uh, this life is not all that there is, but that we do have much more to hope for. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Grand Bahama and Freeport in particular. Uh, Father, we pray that as uh, Hurricane Dorian comes their way, uh, that they would be able to um, hunker down in their homes, that they would have plenty of supplies. We pray that they would be able to rally together and help each other during this time. And we pray that there's no loss of life, although we know there probably will be loss of property. Uh, Father, we just pray that you keep every single person on that island safe, and in particular, our brothers and sisters. Lord, we look forward um, to hearing about the victory after the hurricane has passed, and we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry about my voice. Um, I don't know what it is this morning, but it's just kind of cracking a little bit. I'm not crying. I know it sounds that way, but I'm not crying. So okay, so John chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. It says, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and who wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, 
Let us also go that we may die with him. So point number one this morning is he loves. He loves. Now this miracle at first blush sounds like uh, the other miracles that we've already read about in the Gospel of John. And they all begin in a very simple way. A problem is stated. For us today, now a man named Lazarus was sick. In John 4, it's, it's, and there was a certain world official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. John 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. John 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So at first blush, this sounds just like all of the other miracles that we've read about in John. And we know, alright, when there's a problem that's stated in the beginning, Jesus is going to step in and he's going to save the day. Now Jesus is going to save the day. But this miracle is a little bit different because it quickly turns into something different here. Not only will this be Jesus' most dramatic um, display of his power, but we quickly learn that Jesus has a personal relationship with this man that he's about to heal, Lazarus. And we find out where this man is from. We find out he's from Bethany. We learn that he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And as John writes, he assumes that his readers know who Mary and Martha are because he doesn't really introduce them. He just says he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And so there must have been stories circulating about those two women. And not only does Jesus know this man, but Jesus loves this man. In verse 3, the sisters write and say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we don't see this kind of relationship with the others that have been healed in the Gospel of John. It's the, the more so clinical. That, all right, there's this guy, you know, he's seasoned, he heals him, and there's a response, and he goes about his way. But we don't really read about any kind of a personal relationship, fellowship, for sure or not. Oh, he loved this guy. And not to say that Jesus didn't, but it simply wasn't recorded. And so notice how Mary and Martha present the problem to Jesus there. They're very, very faithful about it. There's no demands. There's no requests even. There's no, hurry, hurry, Jesus, come quick, he's dying. There's nothing like that. Their appeal wasn't based on their love for Jesus. Lord, but we love you so much, please come. Their appeal wasn't based on Lazarus' love, but he loves you so much. Please come. They didn't even say Lazarus' name. Well, I mean, that tells us that Jesus knew Lazarus really well, right? I mean, if you got a message from Mary and Martha, the one you love is sick, he instantly knew it was Lazarus. And he probably told Lazarus publicly, I love you. He probably said it so much that everyone knew, okay, Jesus loves Lazarus. But anyway, they appealed on the basis of Jesus' love for Lazarus. And this is where everything began. It began with the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus. Not Lazarus loved him. Not the sisters loved him. But that Jesus loved Lazarus. The one Jesus loved was sick. And this makes sense because we only love because he loved us first, right? right? And so 
were sad and afraid because uh, they, their best hope for their brother's healing was not there, meaning Jesus. They started with this unchangeable, undeniable, powerful fact. Jesus loves Lazarus. And all they do is present that to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick, and they trust. Jesus is going to do what's best once he has this information. They believed that Jesus would do right by those that he loved and that he would not let them down. In verse 4, Jesus says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And so this is a similar response to the man born blind in John 9. It says this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus has an insight into sickness. He has an insight into death, the pain, and the suffering that we simply don't have. He has good purposes for pain, good purposes for suffering that we are unfamiliar with. And when we were in Trinidad, this brother, Bob, when he died, no one wondered why he died, because he was quite old and he was declining in his health. But everyone wondered, why did he die when he died? That was the question. Because it was right before, it was the Thursday before the 30th anniversary celebration. So there were people in the church that were like, oh man, we really wish he could have been able to see this. And, you know, he didn't, this would have been something that uh, his, his, he would have loved to have heard about the church celebrating his 30th year, the 30th year anniversary. And people were really sad about it. But I was telling them, you know what, that maybe it wasn't about him seeing, but maybe it's about us seeing. Maybe that's why he died when he died. Maybe God wanted us to remember this brother even better in light of the 30th anniversary celebration to be inspired by his life even more. I don't know. That's just my, my guess. My point is that God has good purposes that we don't know about when it comes to pain and when it comes to suffering. Many times we ask why, 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 God, help me to know, help me to understand. And I'm telling you, if God told us, we wouldn't get it anyway. We would not get it. Like, God, why would you do that? That makes no sense. He's like, that's the point. It's why I wasn't even going to tell you. Because you don't get it. On top of that, God has multiple reasons for the things that he does. It's not just one little reason that he does something. He's got many reasons for why he does things. Then verse 5, it's already been stated that Jesus loved Lazarus, but if if you didn't get it, in verse 5 it says again, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And John is saying this as if to anchor us into that truth before the rest of the story unfolds. So that as you go through the story, if you have any doubt, if you have any question as to what God is doing or why God is doing what he's doing, whether or not he truly loves them, you can go back to these two statements. And you can rest and you can feel secure that yes, Jesus does love Lazarus. And he does love Mary, and he does love Martha. But not only that, I think John wanted us as his readers to read the rest of the story with this thought in mind, that God loved Jesus, loved them. 
And he wanted us to know that everything from here is because of Jesus' love. And so the second point is he delays in verse 6. It says, so, let's just read it off, let's just read it verse from verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Are you with me? Verse 6, so, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Oh, hold up. Wait a minute. I thought you said he loved him. Doesn't sound like he loved him that much. If he loved him, wouldn't he have dropped everything that he was doing and come running to Lazarus' side to be there with the family? Sounds really insensitive. Doesn't sound like love. And this is the point that John wants us to get. The waiting of the two days was because of Jesus' love. It was because Jesus loved Lazarus that he waited two more days. And why is that? It was the best thing. It was the best thing. First of all, even if Jesus had dropped everything and come running, there wouldn't have been enough time to physically be there to save Lazarus' life. And yes, Jesus could have saved him by just saying the word. He'd done that earlier in the Gospel of John. But he chose to not do that here in this situation. And verse 17 tells us that when Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days already. And so even if he would have dropped everything, left immediately, and gotten there two days earlier, right? Not taking the two days away, but gotten there two days earlier, that means that he still would have been dead for two days. Right? Is my math right? Four minus two is still two, right? He still would have been dead for two days. And so more than likely, Lazarus died soon after the messenger left to give Jesus the message. So if you can imagine if Jesus was roughly, scholars say he was roughly one day's journey away. Lazarus is sick. They're like, hey, go tell Jesus. The guy leaves. But as soon as he leaves, Lazarus dies. While the guy is traveling to get to Jesus. The Jews buried their dead on the day of their death. So by the time the guy got to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead and buried. Jesus gets the message on day two. He stays for two days until day three. And then he travels to back to Bethany and he gets there on day four. My question is, if he didn't come back in order to save Lazarus from dying... Why would you still stay there knowing that the family was suffering through his death? I mean, why not come back for that? Why not come back to comfort the family? Staying two more days, that's two more days that the family was like going through all this turmoil, right? And Jesus could have been there to help them. Again, he had a greater purpose. The second reason why it was the best thing to delay was, according to Jewish tradition, after a person died, the soul would hover around the deceased body for three days. And, again, this is according to their tradition. This is not Bible. But as the body would see that there was no hope uh, to re-enter the body again, then the soul would then depart onto where it needed to go. And resurrection would no longer be possible after that third day. And so Jesus 
he waits these two more days until Lazarus is good and dead. Until he's like really dead. After these three days of the soul hovering around, and there's just no more hope whatsoever of Lazarus coming back. He does it so that no one can say that this resurrection was going to be a fluke. Lazarus was dead dead, and Jesus was going to make yet another statement about his identity. He was going to make it known that he is the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus from the dead. This was the greater purpose. So that God's glory, I'm sorry, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And so Jesus' delay may not feel like love. But, but here is kind of the central point of the entire lesson this morning. If you don't listen to anything else, just listen for like the next two or three minutes, and then you can check back out again, okay? <laughs> Jesus' delay may not feel like love, but we cannot interpret or make sense of God's love by looking at the suffering that we're going through, we have to make sense of the suffering that we're going through by looking at God's love. Okay? We can't interpret or make sense of God's love by looking at the suffering that we're going through. We have to make sense of our suffering by looking at God's love. When we look at our problems... And then try to figure out whether or not God loves us. We're doing this. <laughs> this is what we're doing. We're looking at things backwards. Right? And what we're doing is we're, ass- we're assuming that our problems are unchangeable. And that God's love is somehow shaky. That's what we're assuming. And so we question God's love. We assume that our suffering has no greater purpose outside of the pain that we immediately feel. We have to look at God's love and then look at our problems. Imagine the child looking at it in the correct way, right? We have to look at God's love and then look at our problems. And when we do, we have to assume that God's love is a thing that's unshakable. And that our problems are the things that are shaky. We need to question our pain, not question God. Not question His love. But this is how we typically think, isn't it? Oh no! I'm feeling pain! God, you must not love me! As if somehow our pain dictates or changes the unchanging nature of God. We need to spin that around. And we need to start in the same way that the sister started. Lord, the one you love is sick. We know that. That's not changing. Now you do whatever you think is best according to your love. And if that means delaying, then delay. That's fine. Do you see what I'm saying? If that means that we suffer a little bit longer, two more days, that's fine, because we know that you love us. Maybe you're 
trying to teach us something. That's the way that we need to look at our problems. Through the lens of God's love and not the other way around. We begin to see that our suffering has a greater purpose than the pain that we feel when we look at our problems in the right way. And we're able to ask God the right questions. What good thing are you teaching me through this? What are you refining and perfecting in me through this? And Mike read the verse in Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And so Jesus loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and because of his love, he delays for a good purpose. You can check back out now. Just kidding. (laughs) Lastly, he risks. He risks. Verse 7, Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. They say, but Rabbi... Like, don't you remember that we were just there like a month or two ago and they tried to stone you? And you're trying to go back? You know, in John 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Because of that, the Jews picked up stones because they saw him as blaspheming. And they wanted to kill him. And it was public knowledge that the Jews wanted to kill him. And so for Jesus, setting foot back in that region again was a death wish. And Jesus knew it. But Jesus answers and he says, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What's he saying? Jesus was saying, I'm the light of the world. That's what he's saying. And if I'm the light of the world, and if you're with me, then you have no fear and stumble. And so in John 11, verse 12, the disciples replied, and they said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They told they would always mix up what Jesus said, right? So they thought Jesus was talking about natural sleep. He wasn't. He has to make it plain and clear. Lazarus is dead. But then we see another purpose of what Jesus did. Verse 13. And for your sake, your sake, talking to the disciples, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. Don't let us go to him. And so again, Jesus has multiple reasons. For Mary and Martha, he's producing perseverance. He's producing faith. He's producing hope. For the Jews, he's revealing himself to them. For the disciples, he's building their faith. He's building their belief. But all of this is through pain and suffering. I mean, who would have known that Bob Gimbel would have a brain aneurysm over breakfast? And die the following day. Why? I don't know. But I believe that something good is there. I believe there's some good purpose from it. And I believe that if God told us all of his different reasons, we wouldn't understand them. And so, therefore, we must trust. We're drawn into having faith by not having the answers. If we knew the answers, it would not be faith anymore. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Certain of what you do not see. Not what we do see. 
And so what better way to build faith than to not tell you what you want to know? To not give you what you want? I couldn't think of a better way. The point here is that because of Jesus' love for Mary, for Martha, for Lazarus, he risks, he risks his life. Jesus could have said, you know what, he's dead and there's nothing I can do about it. And stayed where he was. But instead, because of his love, he puts himself in harm's way. And he goes back to Judea where they want to kill him so that he can comfort Mary and Martha and raise Lazarus from the dead. In verse 16, Thomas gets inspired by this and he says to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Normally you would expect Peter to say something like that. But it's Thomas. I think Thomas saw that Jesus' love was so great for this family that Jesus was willing to risk death. I think Thomas was moved by Jesus' love. So moved that Thomas wanted to risk his own life because he saw Jesus risking his. If there's anything that will get us to risk our lives, it is love. And it is watching someone else love. Some quick takeaways as we go this morning. One, God loves you. God loves you. In 1 John 4, it says, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so how do we know? 1 John 4 again says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Romans 5 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Who are we? Children of God. Thank you, Dad. And that is what we are, it says. Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you. We're the ones that He loves. And He loves you on your worst day as much as He does on your best day. There's nothing that you're going to do to bump up the love meter for God or to bump it down. His tank is always full. It doesn't leak out. His love doesn't change because you've done something wrong. Even if you sin, believe it or not, He loves you the same. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences. But He loves you. Right? And whether you're a Christian or not, He still loves you. And God 
has shown his love by Jesus dying for all men. Whether they respond to him in love or not. And so we must trust this as the fundamental, immovable, irrefutable, indisputable, undeniable, unquestionable, incontrovertible, incontestable, unassailable truth. God loves you.
and learn more about this great love that God has in store for you.